Hello and welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 60. Yes, 6-0. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons. And as always, I'm joined by the man from Brooklyn himself in his very new office, Mr. Chad Owen. Good evening. Good morning, Mike. It's uh, a new recording set up here in the new office space. Excited to record yet another episode on another favorite author of ours, Going a bit back into his catalog of books uh, <laughs> to, I believe, the second book he wrote, but we're continuing our series this week discussing Cal Newport's So Good They Can't Ignore You. Which in itself, that headline is so good, you can't ignore that headline. <laughs> right? What a, what, a great, what a great title for a book. And I have to say, Cal is very well known for his book, Deep Work also digital minimalism. But what's really interesting, this book was in, as you said, it's in his early, earlier years as a writer. But I have to say, this has brought some surprisingly good ideas. I was a little taken back as I really returned to this book and got into it. Chad, I, I got to say, this book is has got a lot of insights on how to build your career. It's got a lot of insights on some of the skills you need to be successful. And it takes some very popular uh, myths and absolutely busts them, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's my favorite part is how he takes this idea that you should follow your passions and he completely debunks it. And not just, oh, you know, in my experience, no, he, you know, he goes to all the literature, he's, you know, gone to everyone from farmers to freelancers to, to debunk and to yoga teachers to, to debunk this, this myth and that, uh, follow your passion and, and your life will be bliss. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to, to jump in and, and, and learn from him. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's so important for us to, to acknowledge that there is such a pervasive myth of following your passion. And I think this just leads to so many people being really unhappy with their career and their work because they've got the wrong expectations and they certainly don't understand the hard work it takes to get there. And today we've got a bunch of clips that are going to show us really a better way to think about careers, how to obtain the right skills, and, and really the mindsets, the practices that we can all do in order to kind of have a career that is deeply fulfilling and, and rewarding. And again, I, I have to say, Chad, I really feel like he's a Simon Sinek in the making. I think Cal Newport in this book, So Good That You Can't Be Ignored, I mean, wow, this guy has really got some great thinking. And what I love about him is he's got such a rigorous approach. Like once you hear the work he puts into developing his ideas, they become pretty irrefutable. Like there is a lot of work that's gone into all his thinking. Yeah, it's um, the, t the title of the book, I think, uh, is where we can start uh, because it's not something that he came up on his own. It's something that he might have borrowed um, from someone else. But I think that's a good in introduction and kind of entree to the content. So we'll just lead it right off with a clip uh, from Cal explaining where got the idea. Hi, this is Brian. Welcome back to the Optimal Living interview series. Today, I'm thrilled to be chatting with Cal Newport, who, in addition to a ton of other things, wrote the great book, So Good They Can't Ignore You, subtitle, Why Skills Trump Passion in the Quest for Work You Love. Uh, Cal is a, an assistant professor of computer science at Georgetown University. He specializes in the theory of distributed algorithms. My brain hurts even thinking about that, Cal. Uh, he previously earned his PhD from MIT and before that went to Dartmouth. Um, Cal, I loved your book. I think you make so many important distinctions, and I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Sure. Thank you, Brian. All right, let's jump straight in. So let's just start with the title and uh, your inspiration for that and what it means to you and all that good stuff. So good, they can't ignore you. Yeah, that's a quote from... Steve Martin, uh, he actually said it during an interview with Charlie Rose, and he said to Charlie, you know, people are always asking me 
for my advice. You know, how can I succeed in the entertainment industry? And they never like the answer I give them. They're expecting that I'm going to tell them how to get an agent or how to get ahead. And instead I say, you just need to be so good they can't ignore you. I just think if you do that, good things will come. And that phrase uh, hit me at an important time in my life that helped reorient my energy and my efforts. And so I was happy to, to borrow it for the title of this book. That's awesome. Um, can you shed a little light on, on that personal part of your journey and, and why it was so impactful? Yeah, I encountered that uh, interview clip maybe about halfway through my graduate school experience. So I was on my way uh, to getting my PhD with my eyes towards maybe being a professor one day. And I was coming at it from sort of a standard uh, life hacker type approach. You know, I'd, I'd always been involved in the, the community of, of sort of life hacking and hacks and trip, tricks and these types of things. And really that solidified for me that, wait a second, for what you're doing, uh, those type of things can be useful, but really, you just have to be really, really good. You know, <laughs> just do what you're doing really good. And it crystallized for me that, you know what, I think that's it. I think the the really interesting stuff that happens to people, the interesting opportunities, the stuff you hear about that makes you envious, almost all of that comes from this foundation of they're just being so good at something core, something so unambiguously valuable that they can't be ignored. And that really helped focus my energy from that point going forward. So good, they can't ignore you. And inside of this, Chad, what Cal's really giving us is a bit of a reset on how we might think about our career. And I think the big uh, setup for the clips to come is that it's in some ways his approach is very stoic. Mm -hmm. It's great old adages of hard work, don't just learn something, master something, and don't be obsessing about some Instagram-like false paradise of some virtual remote job in Bali it's just good old hard work and just be so good at something that people want to work with you. And inside of that, there's so many ideas, but I love it because I think we, we just meet too many people that have this disgruntled uh, feeling with their careers because they think that if they spend a year or two on something, then they should be a high-flying exec and enjoying all the, all the benefits. But really what he's talking about is a lifetime of hard work. Yeah, I think another way of saying so good they can't ignore you is focus. I, I kind of have a visceral reaction to the word focus. I'm often pulled in many different directions and don't want to focus. But yeah, this commitment to doing something so well that you make a name for yourself in it, I think is a really is a really powerful mm. uh, is a really powerful mindset to have mm. and. Being the academic that he is, Cal has some interesting frameworks, some acronyms, some <laughs> mindsets to share with us. I just wanted to remind our listeners before we get into the meat of the show here that you can find all of the links to clips, show notes, and get in touch with us at moonshots.io. We love all of those five-star reviews from you uh, iTunes raters, and uh, yeah, we love hearing from you by email at hello at moonshots.io. Absolutely. And um, I think the the next few clips are really going to set up a couple of ideas that hang under the monikers of uh, career capital and SDT. And let's, let's jump in and get into this self-determination theory because this is the underlying thought to kind of reset maybe some of the bad habits and the false expectations we have around our careers Let's start with Cal Newport discussing self-determination theory. Yeah, self-determination theory is one of several different uh, relatively well-validated and, and relatively old at this point frameworks within psychology um, for understanding what creates senses of motivation and satisfaction in individuals. Um, you know, Dan Pink's book, Drive, for example, really dives deep into self-determination theory. It's basically a book about how to apply self-determination theory as a manager. Uh, so it's something that's been around for a while. But basically, it says there's there's a few things that really um, give people a deep sense of motivation satisfaction, and they include a sense of mastery, uh, it includes a sense of autonomy, uh, and it includes a sense of connection to other people. If you have these things, you, you're going to feel more motivated, you're going to feel more satisfied with your work. And the key thing I point out about these traits is that none of them have to do with matching 
a specific job to some sort of specific intrinsic trait of yours. You can have autonomy, you can have mastery, you can have a sense of connection in any number of different fields. So I think that's important because it says you should stop spending so much time worrying about what's the exact right job for me and putting all of your emphasis on the match. If I find the right job for me, then I'll be happy. And instead say, how do I get more autonomy? How do I get more mastery? How do I get more connections? Uh, I throw sense of impact in there for various other reasons. How do I get those traits into my life? And almost always the right answer is going to be to start with the career capital you already have and then figure out how to keep acquiring more as fast as possible. Ooh, he, he, he even just paired his career capital idea into that. But, but Chad, the, the thing I just wanted to reflect on and, and share with you is like the thing I relate to so much here is almost this, this idea of mastery and you were talking about focus. I've spent different chapters of my career focusing on different things and I can only tell you like the sort of obsession that I've had for the last seven or eight years into innovation and to design thinking and the behaviors that it takes and the skills that it takes to get those things done have been so rewarding. And I feel that when you sort of master something, it opens up the opportunity to be more autonomous because you're such a capable contributor that you have a lot more freedom that you can enjoy. But that also, that mastery gives you the chance to connect with others as well. And so I see this interrelationship between these three ideas, but it all stems back to being picking a thing, not necessarily a passion, and we'll get to the whole passion thing later, but for me, it's picking a thing and just, I love the exercise of asking yourself, what can I be the best in the world at? And getting super focused on that, double down on that. That's, I think, the gift inside of this idea is the start with mastery. Yeah, I I have two interesting takeaways. Building on what you're saying, I think you can actually enter either through mastery or autonomy or connection. Because there's a lot of individuals that I know that are highly connected individuals. I call them mavens. (laughs) uh, That they're so well connected they know someone or they know someone who knows someone that can either help you or, you know, get something done or, uh, you know, send business your way. And so I think that that element of connectedness is, is kind of, uh, is one way that you can begin this, this journey, uh, towards self-determination. And I think if, if you're able to, as an individual to operate uh, autonomously, you know, very self-directed and can continually make progress without a lot of oversight, that also uh, will put you on people's radars. And then, of course, you know, it, it might be the easiest uh, to, to notice someone who has mastery uh, over a particular discipline. But I think they're all very important and interesting in how we think about work. And the second point is Cal's returning back to kind of the fundamental psychological, you know, way our brains are, are structured in that Everyone says, oh, you know, pursue your passion and you'll be happy. But Cal's like, oh, I don't, I don't necessarily trust that. So I'm going to go, to, I'm going to go to the doctors and understand how the brain works to know that actually it had, I'm sure if you index, you know, for passion, mastery, uh, autonomy, and connectedness, the passion is going to be at the bottom of the list and the other three are going to be way more important. So again, I think Cal's ability to, to go in to you know, these kind of disparate fields for us to help understand uh, how we approach work is, is really fun and interesting uh, for me. Yes. And, and, and I think the, the side note to this is I spent several years in my, at the very beginning of my career following my passion, which was and remains one of my big passions is music. And actually, it was really hard uh, and challenging when the thing that you love becomes the thing that you do for a living and then you're forced to, to perhaps produce music that you're not really that excited about but it's what sells um, and then it sort of almost corrupts your passion. And so this is where this is my big. I love the fact that he's saying, guys, don't get too obsessed with the destination and trying to sort of 
in the early part of your career, just finding this elusive passion that's just going to drop out of the sky and then that's, you know, the golden ticket for the rest of your life. Rather, focus on the mastery and build a set of skills every day that sort of come together and build this momentum and they deliver you mastery, autonomy, and connection. And you may, in the end, become passionate about what you do. But I love this idea of finding mastery because it's in the mastery that you get a state of flow. You get all sorts of good luck and momentum when you're doing something that you you really are uh, building a level of mastery and then you enjoy that autonomy and that, that connection as well. Um, I think there's a lot in this and I think that the big uh, practical advice here I think is stop daydreaming and having unrealistic expectations that something that is your passion today is going to be your career or stop holding out those unrealistic expectations that Nirvana is just around the corner. It's, it's the journey of hard work, of mastery, mm-hmm. autonomy, and connection. It's the journey as much as getting to that destination. Yeah, and it, it's all about building what Cal calls career capital. So I'll just let him explain his ideas around this new currency, if you will, of work. Let me, let me lay the foundation for why I think skills and a craftsman mindset actually makes you passionate about your work. And so I, I approach this, you know, I'm a math guy, I approach this in a geeky way, but your audience... It's a distributed is, algorithm here, I like it. <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start drawing distributed algorithm proofs on the boards here soon. It's okay if we do some calculus, right? <laughs> but here's, here's, let me give you the foundation for essentially everything I'm going to say in this interview, which is um, the main thing I discovered when I went out there to study how do people end up loving what they do for a living is that the traits that makes people's work great, the type of traits that make people really love their jobs and feel passionate about it, are themselves rare and valuable. Right? They're, they're, they're hard to get in your career. No one is just handing them out because you want them in your career. They're rare and valuable. So if you want these traits in your career, you have to have something rare and valuable to offer in return. And I like to think about it like an economic exchange. As you build skills that the world finds unambiguously valuable, you get more of what I call career capital. And it's this career capital that you invest for the type of traits that really lead people to love their work. Traits like autonomy, a sense of impact, a sense of mastery, a sense of connection with other people. The better you are, the more of those things you can, in essence, barter for in your career. And so that's why I say getting good skills trump just trying to follow your passion. Because honestly, passion for your work comes from once you have those type of traits in your working life. And as far as I can tell in my research, the only way to get those is to have something to offer in return. So you really got to start by putting in the long yards. The better you get at things, the better things you can put into your working life and the more you're going to like it. I love this. Build a skill, uh, build a talent that is undeniably valuable to people in the world. It's almost um, a servant mindset. Rather than asking the world, like, where's my passion and, like, what's the world going to do for me? He's really talking about turning... I was meant to do this. Why isn't everyone following me as I'm following my passion? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And what he's saying is, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, baby, you've got to be out there doing a thing that really speaks to people it addresses problems that they have and the more you are seen as a contributor rather than a taker i think this is the the foundation for being building career capital because what you have effectively done is got a whole bunch of people who are your peers your clients your partners who look at you as someone like oh we've got to have them on the team they're going to provide an enormous amount of help, guidance, support, and that's where you want to be. You want people ringing up and saying, hey, come work on this. Can we do this? And if you're not getting those calls, you'll probably find that you're not giving enough and you're taking too much. This economic model that he's created, I find really fascinating. I think because the, the way his brain works and he sees things is very different from mine. I, I never really, really would have thought about me devoting myself to a craft 
as building something like career capital that I can then go and exchange or buy autonomy or go and buy uh, connections with others. But that's really how it works because when you develop that that skill, you're going to get those phone calls. You're going to you know be asked to be uh, a part of the team, a collaborator, and again, it's, you know, psychologically, we're getting the reward from the mastery autonomy and the connectedness, not necessarily from working on our passion. You know, we we can get dangerously close to what you were describing, where you almost get burnt out and you're like, wait a minute, I used to love this thing, but now I hate it. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and so having so many interests and so many passions, one of my big things is don't turn them all into a career. Like I, I take great joy in, when the rugby season is finished and I can just watch rugby as a fan rather than thinking about tactics and strategies. And uh-huh. I can just listen to music and not work out how they produced it and how this body of work kind of all comes together. And, and that's, that's the sort of unlock there is that, you know, I could never have thought that, you know, designing products and helping launch products for large corporations would be my thing, but it really is. And I love it. And I have found so much passion and enjoyment in it so much mastery, autonomy, and connection in it. But I, I didn't sit there 25 years ago and say, oh, I want to do design thinking workshops and build products and create launch campaigns for new products. That wasn't on my agenda. I was making radio shows. I was DJing. So, so fascinating how, how you can just use Cal's mental model here, thinking about career capital, thinking about self-determination theory. And I think that the um, we've only just started to get into some of the gifts of of cows thinking. I just want to check with you, Chad. How, when as we've explored this, how do you reflect it on uh, this on your career? Because you've done a big career pivot, you've you've made a big change in building career capital. This must be really interesting for you to explore as an idea when you think about your path. One thing it's helped me realize is I probably way over indexed and optimized for autonomy for a number of years. I definitely got a lot of enjoyment from choosing how and where and who I worked with and maybe had neglected a bit of the mastery and a bit of the connection. So that's that's one thing I'm noticing. Mm. But I think the gift that I've been given for, you know, the 10 plus years of experience and working at at a skill and craft, um, the you know, I was able to exchange that career capital for a new role where I, I do have uh, a lot of autonomy and connection. So mm. before I thought, oh, well, I could only find that, you know, working for myself and you know, living the freelance solopreneur life, but uh, it exists, it exists elsewhere. But I'm kind of, I'm curious, you know, so, so what do we do, Mike, if we don't just go after our passions? Like, how do we find the work that's right for us? Hmm. Well, I think we, there's this idea of seeking right work and really trying to reduce some of the pressures around all the different choices and finding the different paths for us because it can be a bit overwhelming. And here we've got another thought from, from Cal uh, about seeking right work. And another wonderful phrase that I, I appreciate from your book is is seeking right work versus working right. And obviously the emphasis on let's work right. Let's accumulate career capital by finding ways to increase our competence and mastery, which then leads to higher levels of autonomy, more connections, and that that intrinsic self-determination theory uh, embodiment that leads to the true passion and happiness, right? Yeah, there's any number of different sort of theories out there that are pretty well validated about what makes people happy, satisfied, and motivated. And the striking thing is that none of them that I could find have as their foundation every human human being is hardwired for a very particular type of job. And if they can just find that, the match between some magical intrinsic passion and the job is the key to their happiness. People have been studying those questions for decades. That never comes up as the answer. The answer is always things that's relatively agnostic to the specifics of the work. And of course, there's bad jobs and there's things that you're really not going to like to do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you can uh, throw a dart at a job listing and whatever it is you'll be happy with, but I am trying to really reduce the pressure 
on making the choice of what you do. Anything that seems like it's reasonable and interesting and, and could lead you to interesting places is as good as any other such option is what I'm trying to argue. Uh, the choice of your work is not meaningless, but it's also not as meaningful as people like to think. Hmm. This is one of my favorite clips because I think so many of us, certainly those of us that uh, have been looking to make a transition in our career or we're just getting started, we sift through dozens, if not hundreds, I'm sure a few of us, maybe even a thousand potential job opportunities, searching for that needle in the haystack that will be right and perfect for us. And how many hours of agony could we have saved if we had, uh, if we'd all read this book and taken a bit of Cal's advice to heart? Yeah. He's like, guys, relax. Like, you know, don't get so caught up on the specific uh, role. Focus more on building career capital, right? Developing your mastery, autonomy, and connection. And I think the reason, like if we zoom out here, there's a really big context around this, is that, you know, years, decades and decades ago, you either took an industrial age factory job or you went to an office. And both jobs were jobs for life. So you sort of saw this classic pathway. People go from high school to college, they get a degree, they go and get a job. Now, we live in a very different world. So we are presented now. You mentioned some of them, solopreneur, freelancer, et cetera, et cetera. There's all of these casual, flexible, partially employed, uh, new types of jobs that have exploded onto the market, all various forms, shapes, and sizes, which mean now, rather than basically, are you going to be a tradesperson or an office person, you're now presented with about 10,000 other options. And so we find ourselves just like, there is like way too many options now. And so what happens is you become the master of nothing. You don't have enough autonomy and connection because you're literally swamped with choice and you become very unsure of how to go forward. But the great thing is Cal Newport has a thought for us and can put all of this in context for us so we know how to think about all of these different options. So let's have a listen to Cal talking about the paradox of choice. And you just reminded me of Barry Schwartz's paradox of choice of the other thing that's happened over the last 30 to 40 years is this this enormity of infinite choice, which beyond a very small point becomes uh, paralyzing, right? Yeah. And when you have these micro industries and remote work and so many different options, it's no longer just, you know, you can either go to college and become the professional class or work at the factory in town. We're suddenly overwhelmed with all these choices. We shouldn't be surprised that, you know, my generation in particular is becoming more paralyzed with, I don't know what to do. What should I do? Is this the right job? You know, we didn't have this issue 40 years ago. And I think that's a big part of it. That's awesome. So letting that go and just doing, again, it's not a dart, but being willing to find that reasonable and then and then make the decision. I think there's a courage in saying, look, I'm going to commit my life force into this and I'm going to do the best I possibly can and, and accumulate that career capital, et cetera. Yeah, this, this idea of, well, I'm kind of conflicted on it, but I'm at least looking at it in, in a different way. You know, the, the job is not necessarily the end, although it can be. It used to be. Yeah. It used to be that. Yeah, but now the subtlety that I'm picking up on is use the job and the role as a means for creating the career capital to either exchange at your current position or parlay in you know in, into something that is more interesting to you that maybe mm-hmm. is a little more aligned with your 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 passions but that maybe the primary purpose of the job is to build up that career capital and not necessarily give you all of that enjoyment that you're seeking in your in in your life you know Maybe pick up that hobby. Maybe watch and coach that rugby. You know, you don't have to. Mm. You don't have to be the the rugby coach to to be sure that you're uh, you're fulfilled in terms of of your profession and your life. Yeah, and so I think what he's saying now that the landscape has shifted so much, there are so many different forms of employment. There are so many different career types. Don't get obsessed on, am I going to be a tradesperson or an office worker? Because that was the choice of 30 years ago. 
Ask yourself, how can I develop my mastery, autonomy, and connection? And see every step in my career as building rare and valuable skills and that I can make sure that I'm almost like a portfolio manager, mm. building up this, this capital, building up this wealth, this career wealth, experience wealth, and then I'll ha- be able to make better choices and find a path that suits me. And I think in, in the clips we've just heard, I think that is such great advice in this age of constant change, too many options, disruption across so many different industries, Having a simple playbook like this sets us up really, really well to know how to go uh, through our career paths. And the exciting thing, Chad, is the second half of the show is all about the mindsets that we need to embody in order to get the most out of that path. Yeah, and some really interesting examples uh, from the people that he'd talked to and, and kind of shadowed as he was doing his research for this book. Mm. So we've, we've talked a lot about not following your passion, but we don't have to wait. Uh, Cal is going to show us kind of the flip side of that coin and maybe uh, where our focus should be. So if it's not passion, then what is it? Let's talk about the mindsets that you articulate. And I love the distinctions you made between the passion mindset and the craftsman mindset, which gets us to rule number two, which is be so good they can't ignore you. But can you kind of unpack that juxtaposition of mindsets? I think the passion mindset is an important concept because it it helps tell us that this advice that uh, you should just follow your passion, that you know what you're meant to do, just have the courage to go do it, is not just uh, an innocent sort of aspirational thinking. It can actually affect the way that you approach your work such that you become less likely to end up passionate about your work. And that's because I think this, this general sense of you're meant to do something, and once you identify it, you'll be happy, puts people into what I call the passion mindset. And when you're in the passion mindset, you're constantly asking, okay, what is this job? What is this career doing for me? Do I love this? Is there something I might like better? Is this fulfilling? Do I really like that I have to go to these meetings? Is this really the right job for me? It's a very self-focused mindset that causes uh, quite a bit of angst and anxiety and uncertainty because uh, nothing's really going to measure up to this sort of mythical idea we have of if this is your passion, you'll love it. I contrast it to sort of Steve Martin's craftsman mindset, where what you're asking is the opposite. Okay, how much value am I producing? How how useful am I? I mean, to to an outside observer, what am I producing that the world cares about and how much they care about it? How could I be creating more value? How could I be making the, you know, more positive sort of additions to the world? So this sort of relentless focus on how do I make myself and my output more valuable? Those are in direct opposition. If you adopt the craftsman mindset, you're almost uh, you're significantly more likely to end up being able to craft a career that's a, a, a huge source of passion. Ironically, if you have this passion mindset, you're really steering yourself away from a very meaningful, satisfying career and more likely steering you towards chronic job hopping, uncertainty, and anxiety. So I'm a big advocate that the craftsman mindset is the foundation of building a very passionate career. Well said and so good. And, and I just love that distinction of the passion mindset is essentially obsessed with kind of the lifestyle side of things of let me see what value I can get from whatever it is I'm doing vis-a-vis the craftsman mindset says how can I create value how do I give as much as I possibly can in whatever I'm doing and in the broader scope of my life in that getting value versus creating value um, is just such a powerful distinction Mm, I I, as he was talking Chad I, I had this vision of someone hopping between jobs always saying, is this the perfect job? And then, then like 12 months later, no, 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 this is not the perfect one. Mm-hmm. Then they go to another one and another one. And I think we've all seen those people. And I think what Cal Newport does is he's explaining why this is happening because everybody who has a passion mindset has incredibly high expectations of the job. So it's almost impossible for the job to meet the standard that they expect. Whereas the craftsman uh, uh, mindset, this is all about what can I give and how can I get better at giving rather than me asking what can I get out of this situation? And the great twist on all of this, Chad, is he's basically saying if you want to be passionate, don't follow your fat passion, follow your craft, and the craft will get you to the passion. 
So it all kind of turns everything upside down, doesn't it? Yeah, this idea of value is very interesting to me. And I would kind of add unique to that. So if you can find unique value in something that you're doing, you're going to have a blast at doing it. Because you're providing that value, people are going to respond to you. They're going to be beating down your door to work with you and to be a part of your team and to join your company and to buy your products because you have that focus on the value that you're providing. It's a lot easier said than done, though. <laughs> it is. It is. And and I think um, this is such an important gift in what Cow's thinking has to offer. We we really should go another step into this because we've we've explained that there are these two paths: the passion mindset versus the craftsman mindset. But I think this is so important, just like building career capital was another important topic we've covered. I think this idea of don't start with your passion is really important. You can actually find it, but you just don't start with it. So let's have a listen to Cal Newport espousing the values of don't follow your passion. Don't follow your passion. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I'm not a big fan of the advice to follow your passion. And I think it's important to, to nuance that because when people first hear me say, don't follow your passion, they think I'm saying, don't follow the goal of ending up passionate about what you do. Hmm. And that's not at all what I'm actually trying to claim. In fact, my goal is to be passionate about my work. The goal of that book is to help people end up having work that they feel very passionate about. But I think the equation has it backwards. Uh, this idea that you start with a clear pre-existing passion that you identify and then use as the foundation of your career choices, that idea is just not borne out by the evidence. If you actually study people who love what they do for a living, people with real passion, more often than not, the passion comes later. It's a side effect of everything else you have to do to build a really good and meaningful career. So I like to flip that around and say, really, the goal is not to follow your passion. It's to let passion follow you as you put in the hard work of constructing a really satisfying career. So good. And I love, you know, that the word epiphenomenon, it's the byproduct, the side effect of committing to something and just being as good as you can possibly be, as great as you can possibly be at it. Um, and, you know, of course, I think your point is such a good one, right? That, that most of the time we're just chasing the passion and we forget the other side of the equation. There are some exceptions where people just happen to have this passion and then they became masters at it. But for most of us, as you articulate again and again in the book, um, it's, it's at least a two-way process and, and the majority of the time, focus on being so good um, and let that passion be the, the byproduct. Hmm. It's interesting f for me to see this in the light of feedback loops because I'm trying to understand like why, why is it that the kind of unexpected path of actually the craftsman mindset will bring you uh, the fulfillment and, and make you passionate. And I think it has to do with feedback loops because if you shift from that selfish to that selfless mindset, you, you mentioned it earlier, kind of a servant or service-oriented mindset, you're going to be continually getting positive feedback signals from the people that you're working with, the clients that you're working for, the customers that you're serving. And those kind of, you know, those blips of positive emotion and feedback is going to lift your spirits and i.e. make you more passionate about the, the work that you're doing. But it, it's very unintuitive. It is. And I think there was they were riffing together there and there was something that I really liked, which is don't follow your passion. Let your passion follow you. And I, I really think this is so crucial because I think when you change that expectation, then you do the hard work, you search for mastery, you get focused. And I truly have experienced in myself that passion comes through that work. So I just really, really want to call this out. This is so, so powerful as a pathway to finding that fulfillment, to finding that satisfaction in your career, uh, because then you're like ready to work for five or 10 or 15 years to find that mastery rather than saying in the first five or 10 weeks, oh, well, geez, this, this job sucks. This is not giving me the, the pleasure and the utopia that I dreamed of. I think this totally sets us on a different path, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and if we can, uh, if we can let this message sink in, 
it takes that pressure off the paradox of choice or, you know, oh, I, I, I'm not getting the job that I was destined to do that fate, you know, has set aside for me. It's like, no, like there's not just that one thing, you know, actually there's just thinking about yours and my skills that we have. I'm sure that we could probably do all right in vastly different fields. And then, as you said, that the passion will then begin to follow us. So I, I just, I love how this idea takes that pressure off of over-optimizing and finding that one job or role that you were destined to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's really great is we managed to find a couple of anecdotes, a couple of stories of different people going on this journey. So now that we're into this back half of the show and we're thinking about how we might do this, what are the mindsets to build career capital and to find mastery, uh, we've got this great anecdote uh, that Cal shares comparing a marketing guy and a yoga woman. And I think this really sets up how you go on a path that accumulates career capital over time. So let's, let's have a listen to Cal Newport sharing some stories of those that have attempted to build their career capital. Right. So here's the the analysis I went through in the book. I, I'm a big believer in career capital. Uh, the more capital you have, you can invest it for better things. I don't care so much about the specifics of the activity. I think we way over uh, emphasize the match between the specifics of the work and yourself. I think really is what traits do I have? And those traits can be in lots of different jobs. So the analysis I did was... Um, here is this, this advertising executive who had a lot of career capital in sort of the fields of, of, of marketing or copywriting or whatever it was specifically she was in. She has zero career capital in yoga. In order to build a career that has mastery, autonomy, impact, and connections in yoga, she has a long road ahead of her. She'd have to gather up from scratch a lot of career capital, which she has no head start on. So instead, I would say, if I was in her situation, I would say, well, how can I take this capital I already have from being successful in marketing and advertising and invest it to get the type of traits that I like about the yoga. And maybe I need to acquire a little bit more, I need to add to the stash, but I would start from what I already had. So I contrasted her to another marketing executive that I found uh, who had done exactly that. He was had wanted, he thought maybe he'd wanted to be an artist and he was building capital as a, as a doing illustrations for marketing purposes, but uh, was having these same thoughts around the same time as this, this woman who went on to become a yoga instructor. But instead, what he did was he just found places within marketing where he could build his capital and invest it. And he ended up creating this sort of very creative uh, marketing business of his own, which became very successful and gave him a lot of autonomy and allowed him to work on things he liked. And I wrote about this this compound they built by the lakes in Wisconsin where his family get together. Anyways, he built a very passionate life out of a same moment of indecision because he said, well, what capital do I have? How can I get more and how can I invest it? Whereas this other person was saying, what's the right job for me? What's mm-hmm. the right match? If I could just find the job that's the right match for me, I'd be happier. Ignoring career capital, ignoring the need to have career capital to get fulfilling traits in your work. And she really paid the price for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've actually got a really great uh, follow-on clip to that uh, to understand exactly how it went wrong for the yoga teacher. You do a great job of of kind of articulating this in the context of a yoga teacher, right? Who, who decides that their passion is yoga. They go and get a basic certification and then tell us what, what you've seen happen and why that's, that's kind of a, a dangerous thing if we don't bring in the craftsman mindset. Now, this story was the sort of classical example of what happens if you have the passion mindset. She, she gets this basic yoga certification and quits her job as an executive and say, I'm now going to be a full-time yoga teacher because the passion mindset says, what's going to bring you the most value? And she thought, I think I would enjoy being a yoga teacher more than executive. And of course, where the story ends is it's not long after that, that she's in line for essentially the equivalent of food stamps. Because just because she really wanted to be a yoga teacher didn't mean that anyone cared or that she was going to be able to make a living at it or that she'd be able to do it successfully. Uh, And that's sort of the trap of just focusing on what you want. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, so so that that one was like um such a nice kind of story to hear because she really missed, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah, it the the incrementalism or iteration nuance that's in here I think is really important because I know that we've all known those people that 
a high-flying ad executive, and then they go and try to start a fly fishing business. And yeah, sure enough, you see them pop up at another agency, uh, you know, a year or 18 months later. And I think it just comes down to maybe those individuals being a bit too selfish and just ignorant of what the the market needs and and wants for them. And so the the story of the the illustrator guy kind of building a bridge, he doesn't uh, immediately quit his job because he just wants to draw pictures. He starts drawing pictures while he's still at work, right. and then that leads him to to create this new business, and then. Uh, you know, he doubles, triples, quadruples down on this this illustration side. So it, it's it's funny because the the passion kind of followed him to that to that new gig. That's right. That's absolutely right. And I think that the the frame that we have here is it's just simply think about your value proposition as an individual to your peers, to your colleagues, to your clients to all of those stakeholders and ask yourself, what am I doing that really makes the difference and how can I be better at it? Find that mastery, develop the autonomy and the connection and put them before yourself and the path will emerge. But as in many times in life, it's about trusting in the process and we often want to skip and just get to the destination. Yep. And I think this is, Cal's thinking is really forcing us to trust the process. Don't just try and catapult, skip all the hard work and arrive at the destination. Don't you feel like that's what he's really I telling us? I just want us? the quick fix. Right. I just want the quick fix. <laughs> yeah. But it's, isn't, it, yeah. It's, so, it's so stoic, isn't it, Chad? Yeah, not just stoic, but it really takes a long-term mindset, yeah. which is so hard to cultivate. We all seek immediate gratification. I, I think the the analogy of treating it like you're mining a valuable resource, this career capital. And that's something that the more unique and valuable the skill, you know, the craft that you're developing, you know, the higher mastery, autonomy, connection, impact you will have in your work. And from those things, passion, passion is attracted to, yes. to those things. And so this taking a long-term, you know, investment, Warren Buffett approach yeah. to your career <laughs> is it, yeah, it's, it sounds really great, but again, it's really hard to, to ignore or quell all of the, the short-term gratification that we seek. Yes. And I think that the, the benefit of this is you don't have to worry about the dreaded question is, is my career on track? Mm. Am I doing the right thing for me? Because that's such a big, open-ended, long-term question. What this does is it focuses into some daily practices. It focuses into just trusting the process so you don't have to worry about the outcome of, of the process because you know you're doing the right process. And there's this great conversation uh, that we found between uh, Cal and, and, a, and a radio host talking about how this thinking comes alive and how we can enjoy this benefit. And it's in, in deep inside of it, perhaps there's a calling back to this craftsman mindset of, of, of focusing on a thing, providing it to the world. But if you do embody the habits that we've been talking about here, this is Cal talking about whether you really do have bad days in the end, because if you've trusted in the process, things will work out. Just this morning, I traded some tweets with a woman who said, you know, I really admire what you do. You're so consistent. And I'm all about this. Like, I'm all in. This is all I I do is get as good as I can, master my craft. And I, I work hard and I uh, strive to produce a lot um, and to acquire that career capital and be able to do more and more things. Anyway, she said, you know, I, this is great. You inspire me. But, but do you ever have off days? And I replied in a tweet and said, well, of course, you know, but when you're rocking your fundamentals and you're doing this work, it's, it's hard to have that bad of a day. Then she tweeted back and said, well, that's great, but you know, I would just wish for you, and I'm, I'm inspired, but I'd wish for you to have at least one day a week where you just do, you know, uh, something that just kind of brings you joy. In that mindset of the, the presupposition that putting in the work, not only to acquire the traits, but just doing the work is in itself so liberating. It's one big game when we play it with the mindset that you talk about of the deliberate practice. And um, so I jokingly replied that, well, that presupposes I'm not doing that seven days a week, right? Yeah. Um, so I think there's this bizarre myth that, and Mihai Csikszentmihalyi talks about this a lot in his work on flow, of course, where there's a, he calls it the paradox of work, 
where we actually feel best when we're engaged in work that's challenging and meaningful, and worst when we're in leisure activities. Yet, all we want is leisure activity. Um, so I think that's, that's part of the cultural phenomenon that's going on that, that is making the passion vis-a-vis -vis craftsmen such a challenging thing for people to get, right? Yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely what's happening. We, we have to, it's a, a kind of a weird cultural moment we've been in in the last maybe three or four decades where we've constructed this notion that there's these, these uh, deeply passionate activities that our soul is wired for, and we all have them. And when we're doing them, we're really happy. And otherwise, we're doing stuff that, that we're not happy. And it really doesn't match the psychology of what actually gives people a sense of motivation and satisfaction, which is when you're actually working at a craft, you're actually, you're, you're good at something, you're exhibiting mastery, you're, you're applying a craft in a way that's sort of publicly rewarding, that feeling, the, the feeling of flow, the feeling of mastery, the sort of feeling autonomy over your world, embodiment in a physical world where you're creating things that are valuable, those are the deepest levers of sort of passion and meaning that we have. People have recognized this all the way back to the ancient Greek philosophers. There's nothing new about it. What's new is this idea that rose out of the 60s and 70s that, no, 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 that stuff isn't important. It's, you know, you need to be, you know, walking through the woods while doing poetry, while whatever the, whatever the scenario is, that there's these, this big separation. And it didn't used to be that way. Mm -hmm. Craftsmanship was the height of sort of human flourishing and fulfillment. And so that's what you're tapping into when you take the skills-oriented uh, focus. If you're looking around for some magic activity that every time you do it makes you feel blissful and you're never unhappy, you're, 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 you're going to be looking for a long time. Yep. The reality of, of passion is, I think, a lot more interesting, but it's also more nuanced than just that feeling of sort of simplistic bliss that people are looking for. Hmm. There's a lot in that clip. One thing... Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> one thing I was thinking of is we used to not have a choice. You know, you were a craftsman dedicated to your craft. Maybe your family members helped, but like there weren't big, you know, giant corporations and companies, uh, not nearly as much coordination of resources and whatnot that the whole kind of explosion of entrepreneurialism, you know, in the 19th century brought us and you know, Adam Smith and industrialization. But we provided, you know, we were a farrier. So we're putting shoes on horses that made everything work, right? Mm -hmm. Commerce and transportation. And uh, because we're prov providing that value, I think eventually, you know, you would have that, that passion follow. So I, it was just an interesting thing how, in a way, it's kind of coming full circle, you know, like a couple hundred years later where this craft and mindset's becoming so important, almost as like a response to, uh, you know, the information age, the knowledge mm. uh, economy. Absolutely. And what happens is that when you take on a craftsman mindset, the satisfaction can occur every single day mm -hmm. because you know that you did a thing, you mastered a skill today, which is far more measurable, tangible in the here and now, rather than this elusive Am I pursuing the best, most delightful, passionate career I could ever have? Which is like, well, how do you know when you're there? What he's actually saying is that you can become deeply satisfied every time you down tools every day because you know that you've switched your orientation to how can I build my mastery of different skills? How can I have a craftsman mindset every single day? So in a funny way, you you finish work for the day and you feel deeply satisfied and you can get actually, here's the catch, you can get really passionate about that feeling, about that state of flow so that every day you can just say, wow, I, I built my mastery. I built my career capital. Yeah. Him bringing up or the uh, the host bringing up Mihai Chisek Mihai who wrote the book Flow, giving a shout out to my alma mater, the University of Chicago. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It, it's another interesting layer to this where in that literature, it's, it, it's saying, you know, pursuing leisure activities, AKA maybe passions can be counterproductive to your enjoyment and fulfillment. And, you know, we all know that state of flow that we've been in, whether it was in sport or at work, where you just kind of lose yourself in the moment mm. and the fulfillment that you get after experiencing those states of flow, I think it can only 
be achieved when you are, as you said, so you're sitting down every day, uh, committing to do uh, that work, that skill, that craft, taking on those slightly more challenging uh, tasks, which is w- what will create those states of flow and, and again, bring that fulfillment and, and passion to what you're doing. Totally, totally. I think there is just what a, what a wonderful series of ideas to kind of refresh, you know, some reflections on my career. Uh, to be honest, the funny thing is I don't really think about my career so much. Maybe I've kind of bought into this process so much. I'm, I'm very much obsessed with mastery um, right now. And what I found is this is like a great inspiration. Uh, so it's a kind of a turbo boost for my a desire to acquire and grow uh, and to make sure that the things that I'm doing actually really help people. And it also affirms in me, there's no, don't worry about the big long-term because if you're doing things that bring you satisfaction in terms of mastery and autonomy and connection, like you'll end up in the right place, Mike. I, I found that a really powerful reminder in this book. So I want to ask you, Chad, you know, you've done a big career pivot. You've done a quantum leap in career capital. How do you feel now that we've sort of decoded the key ideas in this book from Cal Newport? Well, it feels it feels great uh, to know that I can make such a big shift after investing over ten years in quite a different uh, industry and role. But because maybe without me even knowing I was building up career capital that I could then, you know, I could go, to, I could take it to the bank and uh, cash it for some really great opportunities. And in, in, if I think about it hard, I could probably have gone into maybe even two or three other different fields because I had that career capital. And again, it wasn't like so, so tied to finding the one uh, perfect role. Because I had built up the career capital, I was actually able to jump on an opportunity that that came up uh, and presented itself. Whereas if I hadn't built up that career capital, uh, I would not have been able to seize that opportunity. Exactly. It, I think for me, it all, it all comes down to a growth, a growth mindset mm, as well. Mm. I think the craftsman mindset is very much a growth. You know, it's a selfless and a, and a growth mindset. Um, whereas the passionate uh, mindset seems quite fixed to me and, and also very selfish. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a big part of growth is learning. And, um, the exciting thing is we have one more book in this series, Chad, and we're going to dedicate it to the three or so books, uh, that Cal has written about learning, uh, how to win at college, how to be a high school superstar and how to become a straight A student. We're going to get all of those, throw them into one ginormous show and just dedicate ourselves. We're going to be going back to high school and college, Chad. Can you believe it? <laughs> well, again, I, I, I read uh, Cal's blog years ago and wish I had discovered it or maybe wish I was a little bit younger so I could have used it in high school and college because I'm <laughs> sure if I go back and look at my transcripts, uh, <laughs> I could have, uh, I could have done better, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to, uh, complete our, uh, look at Cal's avoir to use a, a high school word and, uh, and yeah, kind of bring it home with probably the strongest theme, uh, that has em- emerged from all of the moonshotters and mm. entrepreneurs mm. on the show of, of, of learning lifelong learning and, and, oh, yeah. and, and, a, a huge value of, of yours and mine as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what a wonderful ride we've had today exploring these critical ideas from Cal Newport, career capital, self-determination theory, um, really getting into the craftsman mindset. I mean, th- there's so much more than I expected in this book and it's been great Chad, to share it with you. I can't wait to go back to high school and college in the next show, learning how to be a great student again. I think we can always refresh our thinking. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. I know it's getting late uh, there in, in New York, Chad. So I want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank our listeners. Chad, do you have a call to action for our listeners? I know you love a good bit of email. Yeah, you can always email us at hello at moonshots. Io. We've been getting great feedback. People are still asking to find their why with me with Simon Sinek. If my schedule, uh, if my schedule allows, 
I will certainly uh, respond to as many of those requests as possible. Awesome. And again, we love your reviews on iTunes. It's it's helpful for people to discover the show and uh, know all the hard work that Mike and I are putting in here on the show. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks to you, Chad. Thanks to you, all of our listeners. It's been great to discover how we can be so good they can't ignore us. Uh, the book from Cal Newport, uh, it's been really inspiring and we can't wait to go back to a deep dive in learning on the next show. Thanks again. And that's a wrap.